Welcome to the Mind Your Body Show, where you'll learn how to get your mind right so that your body will follow. I'm Trudy Stone, certified culinary nutritionist, TV guest expert, and author. After self-hacking my mind and body to lose 30 pounds, I now help busy, overwhelmed women use stress as their superpower so that they can rise above it and become more calm, resilient, and physically fit. Each week, not only will you learn nutrition and stress management habits, you'll also learn about the power of food to enhance your mental and physical well-being and how to overcome your battles with living a healthier lifestyle. The secret to eating healthier, improving your mood, and increasing your energy are not only about what you put in your stomach, it's also about what's going on in your brain. So congratulations on showing up. I promise to support you on your health journey with every single episode. Let's begin. Welcome to the Mind Your Body Show. This is culinary nutritionist Trudy Stone, and I am so grateful that you tuned in today. Today, we have a champ in the house, a three-time Canadian natural bodybuilding champion, Wade Lightheart. He is one of the premier authorities on natural nutrition and training methods. Having majored in sports science at the University of New Brunswick, he has authored numerous books on health, nutrition, and exercise, which have sold in over 80 countries. Wade is sought out by athletes and high-performance-oriented individuals worldwide for his advice on how to optimize their health and fitness levels. Welcome to the Mind Your Body Show, Wade. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so great to have you here because you are going to be talking about a topic that we have not talked about here on the podcast before at length, and that is all about digestion. So I know this is going to be a power packed episode. So wait, if this is someone's first introduction to you, and if they haven't heard about you before, can you give us a little bit of a background in your words about who you serve and what it is that you do? Yeah. Well, I've always had a passion about health since my sister's illness uh, early when I was 15, she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. And I watched her go through the medical model for four years before she died at the age of 22. She was four years my senior. And at that formative age, uh, we had moved to a rural area in New Brunswick. Uh, it was five miles to my nearest neighbor up a dirt road, lived, you know, in, in really in remote wilderness. And um, I learned very early that your health isn't a guarantee and your life isn't a guarantee. And so I set about trying to figure out how could you become healthy? And that led me to first what I think a lot of people come to the conclusion and that is an externalized version of health. I saw my sister gave me a bodybuilding magazine and had a Mr. California with muscles and pretty girls on the cover and being a little skinny teenager. I thought, wow, maybe if I get those muscles, I'll get those girls and I'll look healthy and be strong. And the reality was, and after, uh, you know, training in my barn, I built a barn kind of Rocky four style, you know, where he, where he fought Ivan Drago and, uh, you know, with sawhorses and pulleys that I had built handcrafted and tractor tires and two wheelers and all these kind of things. I went to university, studied exercise physiology and got a background basically on the science of working out or the science of health and biology, but it was compartmentalized. In other words, there was, there were, there were how the systems work, but there was no functional, how do this all work together to create a desired outcome of either healthy performance or just generalized health or the prevention of disease. And Mm. I spent the rest of my life uh, pursuing that in all areas. I worked in all areas of the health industry from 
working in nutritional warehouses to retail fronts to uh, personal training, managing a gym, uh, owning my own store, and eventually developing my own company and my own philosophy around that concordantly while I was competing in competitions and eventually representing my country in them. So, and then long story short, that's how I ended up here, you know, 35 years later in Venice Beach, California, running a nutritional supplement company and um, living the life that I intended. So it was a long roundabout journey, which I picked up a few things along the way, largely in part from major mistakes that I made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I have that story as well as well too, Wade, with my whole weight loss journey and you know losing weight and gaining it back and wanting to get off of that dieting hamster wheel like once and for all. And I really realized the importance of habits and just sustainability when it comes to healthy living. And I think you talk about this too, like there's no one diet for everybody. So also recognizing that as well. And I think you know, similar to you, like when I was seeing a lot of the things in the weight loss industry, a lot of you know products that women were taking and things that they were doing, and I was like, this is actually making your situation worse. That was when I started to get the fuel for nutrition and just wanting to help other people as well. So yeah, it's funny how, you know, people, a lot of people that I meet in the wellness industry, the nutrition industry, they just have this long and winding road, but ultimately it's, you know, something that they've been through and then just wanting to just give back and serve people in a really powerful way. So thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you. So wait, let's talk about digestive issues. Like how does somebody know that they have digestive issues? Well, according to uh, Harvard Medical University in a recent paper, in a recent paper they uh, promoted that virtually everyone in North America is suffering from leaky gut to some extent. Then we have a variety of food allergies, and then I would say there's a, a variety of genetic proclivities that make some foods. Um, really inflammatory for some people and not for others, which leads to another level of confusion, one size fits all. Mm. But some, for the listener, some things that I think are good standards to look at are, do you feel gassy or bloated consistently? Do you have either uh, constipation or diarrhea? Do you have acid reflux or heartburn? You suffer from excessive skin conditions, inability to regulate your mood, or do you find some um, food products that will cause brain fog uh, either immediately or in the morning after if you're getting a lot of crust, for example, in your eyes, uh, chronic bad bad breath. Uh, If you are susceptible to conditions of infection or viruses or things like that, or you're struggling with an ongoing condition such as blood sugar management or high uh, triglyceride levels, something's going on in your diet. Now that might be your diet specifically, but one of the most over uh, looked areas of dietary management is almost all diets make a common assumption. And that is if I put food in my mouth, it goes into my body. And Mm -hmm. I would share with our listeners that it's a single canal from your mouth to your bum. This is your digestive system, which there are various states of digestion that goes on where specific things need to happen. And if there's a disruption in those elements, then your ability to digest 
literally absorb and utilize your food as either energy units or building blocks becomes compromised and your food now becomes a potential toxin, an inflammatory mm -hmm. agent or something that feeds bad bacteria, parasites, uh, and a variety of other things. So that assumption was something that got me into trouble way back in 2003. And th thankfully, I found a way out of it. Wow. Thank you so much for breaking that down. I think that's a great list of things that people can start to look out for to start, you know, asking themselves some questions like, am I having these digestive issues? So thanks for sharing that. So Wade, you talk about like the five stages of digestion. Like what are those five stages? Are you able to break that down for us? Yeah. So food, and this is one of the challenges and also the opportunities of food. Food is a sensory social experience, uh, experience as much as it is a physiological requirement. Mm -hmm. In other words, the taste, the smell, the touch, the social component that's involved in eating will have some indication of how well you enjoy that food and how well that food will be digested. You can think of something that you really don't like and you'd be like, oh, you kind of record them hard as something that you really like, which you'd be like, yes, you know, maybe a social occasion with family or friends that you look forward to every year, like the holidays. Well, so there is a biological basis for that. And that means that you taste, touch, you smell the food. This is to prepare your body for actually eating it. And then you start to masticate it at first and your body will determine and start responding biologically to the food before it goes into the other stages of digestion. So that's the first taste, touch, smell, chew. The food will then travel down the esophagus into the upper cardiac portion of the stomach. There for about 30 to 60 minutes, the enzymes present in the food, now enzymes are these pieces of biology, shall I say. They're very active components. There's over 25,000 different enzymatic processes in your body. Everything from thinking to blinking requires an enzyme. The difference between the living and the dead are or the living in inanimate, so plants, people versus, say, stones, is largely in part the enzymatic activity. That's how you can determine whether something is operating. So at this time, this is we're supposed to get these enzymes from our food and then break it down. Largely in part, we eat all our food cooked as humans, and so we don't. Therefore, our body has to manufacture or take its enzymatic capacity and start making digestive enzymes. But this is seen as normal by most general practitioners. However, we are the only species that eats most of its food, either cooked, pasteurized, or devoid of enzymes, which has some downstream consequences as outlined by Dr. Edward Howe in Enzyme Nutrition and Enzyme Food Enzymes for Health and Longevity. We'll get into that in a little. Yeah. After the 30 to 60 minutes, uh, a substance called hydrochloric acid comes into the stomach and the food will eventually drop down and start to move around through peristaltic contraction. Now, hydrochloric acid serves a couple of specific functions. Number one, it is a disinfectant. It's the first step of your immune system in that the high acidic conditions will kill off viruses, bacteria, parasites, bugs that you might've ingested with the food, all of these things. And it does a great job of that, provided you have sufficient levels. The other factor that hydrochloric acid does is it changes the pH of the food and that will activate and deactivate certain key enzymes, which are involved in the cleaving of proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. 
Upon the completion of that cycle, the food will then travel out of the, the stomach into the intestinal tract. The body will buffer this with minerals called bicarbonate buffers. It's a fancy name for minerals that will just buffer the acids. And as that food goes into the intestinal tract, then you will have probiotics. These are probiotics, means pro-life. These are bacteria agents which are inherent for us to live. In other words, there's a symbiotic relationship with us in probiotics. They perform specific functions. They digest our food further. They convert food into usable energy units or usable building blocks. However, I always say in our intestinal tract, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's 10% of these guys that are good, 10% are bad, and 80% are opportunist relative to what you are ingesting. And that could be good or bad. Final stage, again, through peristaltic contraction, which is the smooth contraction of the muscle uh, in your intestinal tract that moves the food along this journey, you will get to the elimination of what you don't need, which is your waste product. So any disruption in that process or in any area that can lead to challenges which will disrupt your life. And that is normal. In fact, in the United States, um, which is where a lot of the literature comes from, we have on any given day, 100 million people, that's about a third of the population, are suffering from a digestive health condition. And about 25% of the population is using regular, either over-the-counter or prescription medication in order to treat digestive conditions, or I should say, to treat the symptoms of. And my message is to help people understand that it's likely that your digestion is in some state of compromise. And by improving your digestion, you can improve your results, whether that's being healthier, reducing the incidence of disease, or performing at the highest levels of performance. Wow. Thank you so much for breaking that down. That's probably one of the best um, breakdowns I've ever heard of digestion and really how it all works. And I know that you touched on enzymes before. So just for people who don't know what enzymes are, can you explain what enzymes actually are? Yeah. Enzymes are catalysts and they accelerate processes, chemical processes in the body. And if you start to study them, they're fascinating elements. They're the essential components of life. The uh, I would say that the only thing that really does work in your body are enzymes and probiotics. And specific types of enzymes are associated with specific type of chemical responses. To give you an example, proteases break down proteins, mm. amylases break down carbohydrates, Lipases bring down, break down fats, cellulases break down uh, plant matter or fibrous matter. Now there are families within each of those categories as well, kind of that go on extensively. And your capacity to produce these enzymes can also be effective. So almost everyone knows someone who has uh, a lactose intolerance. In other words, they can't break down milk well because their body doesn't produce lactase. It is now quite common for people not to be able to break down gluten because about a third of the population do not produce the enzyme called dipeptidylpeptidase 4, DPP4. This is an increasing occurrence in the population at large, largely in part because we are moving to more commercialized food production and the elimination of the enzymes that would be naturally occurring in food suitable for humans. 
Mm, thank you for explaining that because I know that you know the rise of people that are are not aren't able to tolerate to tolerate gluten is on the rise, but I just wasn't exactly sure the reason why. So thank you for breaking that down and the role that enzymes play in that. I think that's really important for people to know. I'll give a couple quick examples as well yeah. for people who are looking at the, the more health model. If you look at um, humans and our our um, pancreas. It, when compared to other species, is about four times larger than other species. Wow. And they store a lot of the carbohydrate management uh, enzymes. And we have high refined carbohydrate diets. And of course, people get into pancreatic cancers, pancreatic conditions, or inability to metabolize blood sugar. Much of it can be traced to an enzyme pathway. Concordantly, we have people who have gallbladder issues, which is a storage uh, place for uh, lipase enzymes. And compromisation of that may lead the inability to break down fats properly. And so uh, these are important things to understand because they don't show up immediately. They they develop over time. And you say, well, I used to be able to eat this stuff fine, but now I'm 40 years old and something's going wrong. I've got acid reflux. I get bloated when I have this, you know, my favorite family meal. And and then, you know, or suddenly the doctor says, oh, you got to get your, you know, your gallbladder out or whatever, you know, so these are, those are always the last case that you want to get to. Awesome. Okay. Well, how can we make sure that we're digesting all the food that we eat, knowing all of that? Well, a couple of things I think is really important. If you're following a proper diet and lifestyle, you should be able to maintain a healthy body weight with a healthy body fat level. If you're not able to do that, what's happening is you are storing an excess amount of calories inside of fat cells. And if you have an inability to shed that, there's likely a toxic issue that may be well, because we see fat as a cosmetic component, Yeah, but it serves a biological function that's very not, that's not really understood by many people in the health area. And that is if you take a biopsy of a fat cell, Guess what you're going to find in them? You're going to find preservatives. You're going to find dyes. You're going to find chemical agents. Mm-hmm. You're going to find all these toxins there. Concordantly, when people go on a rapid fat loss program, oftentimes there'll be shifts in their liver enzymes, or they might not feel that good for a period of time, uh, or will revert back because the toxic load is more than the enzymes in their liver can manage from a toxic perspective. And then they get stuck that even though they follow our calorie restricted diet, they can't lose the weight. And that's because of the, the buildup toxicity. So that's that's stage number one, or more the accelerated stage. And a lot of people are in that accelerated condition. But uh, if you experience those symptoms, acid reflux, heartburn, gas, bloating, or uh, diarrhea, or constipation, you can bet that your diet, you're not breaking down the food that you are consuming properly, and it's causing an inflammatory response inside the system. And there's ways to address each one of those issues. Mm, interesting. Okay. So on social media, Wade, and your social media, by the way, is amazing. You have some really great videos on there that are very, very informative. And I caught myself binging last night. <laughs> so one of the ones that I saw was, it wasn't a video, but it was a graphic you had, and you talked about the nine factors of nutritional decisions. And I love that you had emotional and psychological needs at the base of it. Cause that's something that I always love to talk about when it comes to people's mindset and that really being the catalyst to help them to make any sort of changes in their life. But can you just quickly go through what the nine factors are? 
Well, I think most importantly, people have to recognize first and foremost, even over and above the factors, is to recognize that starvation has um, been a common uh, pattern within human history. And only recently in the industrialized world have we, you know, flipped the switch that now too much food is actually now the risk factor as opposed to starvation. So there is a psychological and emotional component that is built into our food. And when we don't have food, it triggers psychological and emotional things. When we do have food, it triggers psychological and emotional things. And so both sides of not, if you don't understand that, often you become paralyzed in your dietary components. Then we get into things like um, religious observations, right? For people will eat certain diets for spiritual reasons. There are many different religions in the world that will look at the dietary components through a religious lens. And and some of that will have a historical reason or a regional reason why some foods might be not supportive in some parts of the world versus others. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I'll give you an example of that. Say, take in the Indian culture, starvation being prevalent. Cows were maintained as sacred during times of starvation. The cow would provide enough milk for the children. And so the cow was sacred because it preserved the future generations, even during the famine. And so therefore it was celebrated and venerated within the religion, many of the religious cultures that are prevalent in India. So oftentimes there's a correlation as to why something might happen, you know, that get in, in, in you know, that gets lost thousands of years later. We don't know why we do the things that we do. Uh, then we can look at um, what is your, uh, say preference here, physiological preferences. I'll give you an example. So genetics. My business partner is a ketogenic. He does well on proteins and fats. I'm a plant-based guy. I don't do that well on fats, particularly animal fats. So I eat a plant-based diet. Now we run a company together, but how is that possible that we can both have such almost opposing? And he's gone periods of carnivore, and I've done completely raw food as an example. So. As far as a spectrum of dietary selection, we can kind of go down. Uh, you want to select a diet that's right, right for your desired outcome and your goals. That's, a, that's another hierarchy that you want to be, be in there. Something else that needs to be addressed in that thing is your lifestyle, your, your lifestyle that you can stay with. If you, when this is where fad diets can be really dangerous because they may produce an initial result because I always like the uh, devil wears Prada example where the lady's like, oh, I'm on this new diet. I don't eat anything. And then when I'm almost ready to pass out and faint, I eat a single one inch cube of cheese. And I thought that was a great illustration about the ridiculousness of super restrictive diets okay. because they're just not maintainable by over the, over the long term. I also think that short-term diet strategies, um, need to be modified within lifestyle in order to stay long-term. And most of the research scientifically is very short-term windows. And we often don't get a full picture of the long-term effects. Then there is um, the nutrient requirements. 
So for a sec, for example, if you are uh, a, an executive, uh, a company who has a massive load on your life, or you're um, a mom, you know, with three kids, maybe a single mom or something like with three kids, well, you have a lifestyle pressure that your diet has to work around that needs to be factored in to what you're going to do. So those two people, then you can take a high performance athlete, but who's you know, eating on these very specific regimen with these very tight macros. Um, and that leads to the next thing macros. Okay. Um, which is where most diets kind of focus. Are you getting, you know, whether it's this diet, you know, the, this much fat versus this much protein versus this much carbohydrates, you know, and that's where the variance seems to appear with the various strategies and theories. You have the ketogenic people, that's a high fat. You have the, maybe the more athletic type, which is high carbohydrate. Then you have the people in the middle, paleo, it can only be things that were, you know, pre-agricultural development. So, so, so the, so the layman comes into that, they get confused. Mm. Which do I do? Now you need also to go to the next level, which is, okay, well, if I'm choosing one of those diets, there's trade-offs. What elements do I need in order to maintain health on this? So for example, I'll use my own case, plant-based diet, my plant-based diet. So there's a tendency both within the diet and within my own genetics to have challenges with B12. And when I break down my genetics again, um, you know, there's only certain types of B12 that my body does well at absorbing. So I have to be very conscientious about my diet of how I consume B12. Um, I do really well with vitamin C. So I don't need as much vitamin C as some people would need a lot more vitamin C than I would do well, or and that's just genetic. So you have to look at what is your genetic predispositions um, and your uh, risk factors. So then there's another factor you want to go to. What is the risk factors? Give you another example. I like to illustrate things for people to understand of how I go through yeah. a serious hierarchy. Um, if you look at my inherited profile, which you can now get, I use uh, a Toronto-based company called the DNA Company. I think those guys are great. Awesome. Um, and they'll give you predispositions. So in my family, on one side in particular, and actually both sides, I have a history of stroke and heart disease. Uh, one's on the vascular system, one's right directly correlated with the heart. So if you track that, that's related to the inability to process animal fats. Mm. Okay. Now, concordantly, I'll do, would technically do a little bit better on a higher protein diet because I also have a risk for diabetes, mm. uh, blood sugar dysregulation. So what I do is I apply a dietary strategy that deals with lots of high quality plant-based proteins and no animal fats. The proteins I use to stabilize a higher than normal carbohydrate diet, which I serve as an athletic point, and the proteins keeps that stable. And then the low animal fat or the no animal fat essentially allows me to reduce my cardiovascular risk moving on as I age. And mm -hmm. so then I offset that with really high quality um, plant-based fats from, you know, from high quality sources, 
equipped with lipase enzymes. And then there's enzymatic strength that you can get into. Then there's, um, you know, specifics on athletic endeavors, whether you're an endurance athlete, uh, you're a yogi type person. Uh, then you want to look at timing, frequency, how many, how much is fit within your lifestyle? Are you the type of person that does better on, you know, uh, restricted time schedule? So mm -hmm. some populations do really well eating in a four five, six hour window and other people that is just a, dis a disaster. Now that could be psychological. It be, could be biochemical. It could be lifestyle related. So they all start to factor together. And this is why you need a professional inside of your life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So then you to, yeah, sorry. Then you got to adjust for minerals, vitamins, essential fatty acids, essential nutrients and stuff all fit within the hierarchy of your, uh, of your dietary selection to get to the highest level. Awesome. So wait, like having said all this, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, okay, all those things sound great, but if I just really want to know, like, where's my jumping off point? Like, where can I get started? If I want to make changes to my health or changes to my diet, how do I know like what the best, you know, way of eating is, or the best diet is for me? Like, what would you suggest would be the best starting point? Would it be like looking out for some of those things that you mentioned earlier, where, you know, some of the symptoms that your digestion might be off, like, where would you suggest the, the starting point would be for people? Hire a professional. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, it, it's, in today's world, I think it is way too confusing for the average individual to come up to the right conclusions. And even if you produce cosmetic success, and what I mean is that you hit a healthy weight, you may be causing irreparable damage or putting yourself at risk that you don't know down the road. And that's where a professional can step in. And I would suggest doing your genetics, get that worked out, have a hormone test, Look at uh, a pulse test for cardiovascularists, a spectra cell test for your vitamins and minerals to make sure what you not only what you're getting, but what you are able to absorb and utilize and uh, overlay that um, with, did I say blood sugar? Blood no. Glucose monitor? Yeah. You have a blood glucose monitor so that you can see, because we're looking at heart disease, cancer, and diabetes are the three biggest risk, risk factors. And then- mm -hmm medical uh, contraindications are the fourth risk factor, usually because they're treating the first three. So right, we right. can probably reduce 80% of your risk factors just from diet, but you need to know what they are and you're not going to figure it out by going to the grocery store uh, or book. In fact, we actually put this in a book that's coming out next year with Hay House to kind of eliminate that for people, but get a professional life because not only do you have to know what's happening, but then you're going to have to be able to, to craft a diet that takes all of those factors into conjunction. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then there's going to be sometimes the lifestyle modification that allows you to learn how to do that and to make adjustments when life throws curveballs at you. And right. it will. Right. So the, without having a, a, a professional to give you objective feedback and also to keep you accountable 96% of diets fail. But if you look at the 4% who are successful, almost all of them are designed for themselves individually, relative to their lifestyle, relative to their sport, within their re religious and social constructs that address maybe limitations that they might have and take advantage of a diet that is suitable for that individual. So only a professional is going to sort that out for you. And I think it's necessary today because it's so complicated.
Absolutely. And you know, I find a lot with my clients as well. Like sometimes they, they kind of know the right things to be doing or the right things to be eating, but they just need that help. And they need that accountability to help them to stick to it and help them to see it through and to actually, you know, follow through on all of the recommended protocols. So yeah, I, I would say like, there's no shame in asking for help. There's no shame in hiring somebody to help you with this. Like you don't have to figure it all out on your own. And like Wade suggests, like, you know, it's probably best that you don't figure it out on your own. And think about like, when we learned to drive, if we wanted to drive, you didn't just jump in the car and start driving. You probably hired a driving instructor or maybe your dad, you know, got behind the wheel and, or, you know, tried to teach you how to drive. Like you didn't just get there and know how to drive, right? You had an expert, you had somebody that had been along that path or along that road before to help you out. So I think when it comes to our health, I think, you know, we owe that to ourselves to be able to hire somebody or look for some professional help um, in that arena as well. The other thing is, is, um, if left on our own, almost all of us will consume more food than we require. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that's a, that's an evolutionary component because our bodies don't care how we look in a bikini. Our bodies care more about, will we survive the next famine? So there is a, there's a predisposition to, to, to overeat as a safety mechanism. Um, that's, running unconscious and any athlete who's done like I have have done physical competitions as your body fat diminishes to a, a lower and lower level, maybe suboptimal in some cases, the biochemical response in your unconscious desire to overeat become part of the aspect you have to manage and you start to realize, oh, there's this whole unconscious part of me that's running the show and a professional can catch that where you won't be able to. Absolutely. So one of my favorite things to talk about Wade is gut health and how we can better nourish our gut. And I know you talked about leaky gut earlier. So what are some ways that we can reduce gut inflammation or start to really work on our gut health? Well, one thing is uh, try to eat on the outside aisles from the grocery store. Usually most of gut problems are from highly refined processed foods filled with a whole bunch of chemical agents and preservatives that are disruptive. Second, um, you know, you can do this on an app or you can do what I've done for 35 years. Write down what you eat, how you feel, and the times, both before and after. So were you starving and hungry? Uh, were you brain fogged? Did you have a letdown in the afternoon? And after recording that for a couple of weeks, you're going to start to see very distinct patterns and also how you respond to those patterns. And oftentimes those responses like, oh, I'm feeling the three o'clock. I'm just going to run over to Starbucks on my break. And you know what? I'm going to get it. I'm just going to get a plain Americano coffee. And then it's like, no, no, maybe I'm going to get a, you know, a cappuccino with a little splash of almond milk. Oh, got it. That really muffin looks really good. Next thing you know, <laughs> then you have another crash at six o'clock and you're famished and you had to work late and then you're off to the, you know, it's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, they're like, this is how, this is how things go off track. And, you know, so uh, being mindful of what you're putting in your body and how you feel is the first indicators. And I think that's as a former bodybuilder that gave me, uh, I guess I'm still a bodybuilder would give me, uh, would give you advantages so that you can correlate your data with how you feel and then review this with your professional. And now you've got a triangulation. And so next time before you go to that server, you're like, Oh, no, I remember last Thursday I did that. And that was a wipeout. You know, I'm not doing that this time. Right. And I'm so glad that you said that way, because 
whenever my clients first start working with me, the very first thing I do with them is I have them do a food journal and I have them start tracking what they're eating for at least five days, like anywhere from five to seven days. And at first they roll their eyes. They don't want to do it. But then when they actually do it and they start writing down in black and white, what they were eating, what they were thinking or feeling before they ate that food, after they ate that food, how they felt the next day, they'll come to me at the end of the week. And they're like, oh my God, I thought I was doing a lot better than I was doing. They always come in. I know you get this and you ask them, well, how's your diet? Oh, it's pretty good. Yes. And then, yes. And then they go through the journal and they come back slinking in with their head down. Like, <laughs> that kind of sucks. <laughs> no, it is so true. And, you know, I even kind of went through this a little bit um, last night because so I am a huge Bachelor fan, Bachelorette. I love watching that show. It's, it's trashy television, but it's it's a great mental escape for me. So I put that on. So last night was the finale. I'm watching the finale and I'm like, I'm going to have a glass of wine as I enjoy this finale had the glass of wine this morning, Wade, did I not have like a men's brain fog? Like, I just felt like I couldn't concentrate. And I was like, what is going on? Like, why do I feel like this? Like I got enough sleep. Like what, what's going on here? And I was like, Trudy, it's the wine because I hadn't had wine in weeks. Like I've been you know, really cutting back on the whole wine situation. Cause I find as I get older, my body can't really tolerate it. Like it used to when I was in my twenties newsflash, I'm not in my twenties anymore. <laughs> But um, I do find that my body just doesn't tolerate wine as well as it used to before. So I think it's really important for us to like not ignore those things and to really take the time to pay attention to how you're actually feeling. And I think we're just so in life, just crossing things off of our list, moving to one thing, to the next thing. And we're not really slowing down to really connect with ourselves, to really understand what's going on in our body. And in fact, that's like doing a body meditation scan. Like that's one of my favorite things to do especially when I'm feeling off, I'll just do a body meditation scan for like five minutes, lie in my bed and just go through every single body part and just, you know, kind of ask myself like, okay, how am I feeling in these different areas of my body? So I think we just need to get a lot more connected with our bodies instead of, you know, using our bodies, like, like you said, like, you know, to lose weight and, you know, fat is bad. We look at fat. We say we have some fat in us and, oh my God, we want to lose the weight really quickly. We want to get on that treadmill or, you know, get the skipping rope out or whatever it is that you do. I think it's really, really important important that we slow down and really connect with our minds and our bodies a lot more than we presently are. Absolutely. And uh, as I say, you know, uh, life is a, a progressive degeneration. And the idea is that we can offset that with the right choices and we can accelerate it with the wrong choices. And that is something once you take ownership of really helps people make better decisions. And as we get older, we become much more aware of the damage that the wrong choices does as opposed to when we're younger, maybe had more metabolic flexibility. And so better to nip it sooner than later. And uh, of course, um, there are ways to shortcut or to get around those and have your cake and eat it too. And I do that regularly. And to a shocking degree for a lot of people um, that you can have it all, but you can't have it all at once. And so you can build strategies around that, both uh, on a long-term strategy and a short-term mitigation component. And our digestive aids have really helped people make that transformation until they got into a really great pattern of their own dietary practices. Mm, That's so true. So Wade, I know that you're like an amazing shape and I want to know, like, 
What are some daily non-negotiables that you have to live a healthier lifestyle? Yeah, I outlined all of them in um, a course I offer on the site called Awesome Health Course. And the awesome is an acronym. There's seven pillars because I was trying to sort this out for years. And, and I was like, there's seven pillars, um, which the awesome acronym talks about. Air, water, and exercise are the first three. Those are non-negotiables and universal. Mm. And I would say that walking does not constitute exercise. Okay. That is activity, but not exercise or strength. We didn't have to worry about exercise till recently, till everything got so civilized and advanced. Living was exercise. At the turn of the century, the United Nations recommended 20 miles a day of walking because that's what everybody did. Mm -hmm. Everybody walked 20 miles a day. They didn't have cars and things like that. My grandfather, you know, came to town on a horse. You have to walk with the horse and walk with the horse. Like you just walk 20 miles a day. If people went out and walked 20 miles a day, well, guess what? They would do well in their diet. But uh, who has time to do that? So, you know, regular physical exercise on a daily basis. Uh, a deep breathing practice. We sit a lot, which cuts out about 30% of our oxygen mm. that we intake. And that leads to overeating. It also leads to digestive components. So breaking the pattern of movement. Uh, they they sell, now say sitting is the equivalent of smoking as mm -hmm. far as its impact on health. So air and, and then water. I used in my clinic in Vancouver back in the day, we had a we used to test people through an electro-interstitial water scheme. And this shows the hydration level of all of the body's organs, body. It's a very advanced uh, machine. Everybody was dehydrated. Everybody that came in the clinic. And, and chronically so that it would take oftentimes two to three weeks of really focused hydration practices to get them hydrated. So drink the cleanest best water you can and no bottled water in plastic bottles is not it because the hormonal disruption of the plastics i know they say it's bpa free but there's other um there's other plastics that get into your body which are very disruptive hormonally and as we know so many people are structured uh, defective or struggling hormonally if you're struggling hormonally it's really hard to get the other things right and so those are the three non-negotiables, daily exercise, deep breathing every day. I practice both consciously and unconsciously, train myself, and uh, I, I hydrate with at least five liters of water a day myself personally. You know, wow. Water at that right now. And of course, I'm about 200 pounds regularly, and I'm, I'm very athletic. So the, most people are going to need at least three water, three liters of water a day. Well, I got my water right here, Wade. So cheers to you. <laughs> Here's the deal. That's what I'm drinking right here. <laughs> so Wade, you might've answered this question already, but I'm going to ask you a question. I ask all of my guests and that is what is your favorite way to take care of your mind and your body? Yeah. So, um, I practice meditation. Uh, I have for the last uh, 22 years, something like that, which has first, it gives you a baseline awareness of where my mind is. You know, at any given time, it's, it's like I'm not like some Zen master or something that's always peaceful and calm, uh, but it allows me to regulate. It also helps me if I'm 
super stressed or, you know, not in the optimal state, I have a methodology to bring myself down. I also have a methodology. um, You know, if I'm not feeling the best, like I only had a few hours sleep on the weekend at the upgraded conference, I woke up, had to get to the conference. I wasn't feeling my best, but I was able to engage in a deep breathing practice that allowed me to re-energize my body, do a few biohacks, drink a bunch of water, do slam a bunch of enzymes and get off on it. And, you know, an hour later I was fine. So uh, those are the internet, those are the things. And then from an exercise, I I think that um, lifting weights, if you look at a health profile overall, and I'm, I'm not talking about formalized bodybuilding for people, but if you look at the risk factors involved in uh, living long and living strong, muscle mass is a big factor in longevity. And it's really important for women, especially as they go uh, postmenopausal. Uh, the loss in muscle mass for women really is detrimental for their metabolisms, also how they look. Uh, weight training allows you to get your shape. No, ladies, 99% of you will not get too big. It's, it's not that easy. And um, it improves uh, blood sugar profiles, lipid profiles, uh, and you feel great. And you can get a lot of results out of like just two or three days a week. So I do it every day. Mm-hmm. Oh, we definitely have some things in common there, Wade, for sure. Because I've actually started doing a lot more strength training myself because now I'm in my forties. And I find that, like you said, like even in my forties, I find like the muscle mass is just not the same as it was before. So strength training, it just, again, and just even with working out in general, it's not even so much about the way that I look, it's really about the way that I feel. And I know when I work out and I do my strength training, I actually feel stronger as well. So, you know, definitely, you know, incorporating some of that into your life, as well as, you know, some of the other things that Wade mentioned, I, I think are just phenomenal. So wait, if people want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, just go over to Bioptimizers, uh, grab the uh, 84 days course, the awesome health course. I think that will give you, it's five to 15 minute videos where it gives you little lifestyle hacks. You can watch it, you know, in line at the grocery store, at the kids, gymnastics or uh, basketball or soccer, whatever they're doing. And uh, we're on Instagram and social media and all that stuff. My team puts out our information for me. I, I don't spend too much time on those things myself. They, they put out the info for me and then we respond in, a, in our bio tribe specifically, which is a great community that people ask specific questions and we give them the answers. I love that. I'll make sure I link all those things in the show notes for you guys. So you can check that out, especially that course thing. I want to check that course out myself. <laughs> so wait, thank you so much for joining us here on the mind your body show here today. You've given us so much to think about when it comes to the importance of our digestion, improving our digestion, and just so much more on how to just live a healthier, you know, longer life. So I want to thank you so much. I want to acknowledge you again for all that you do and the way that you serve. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time to sit here with us today and just talk to us about all things that digestion. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mind Your Body Show. I hope that you learned something new to help you transform your life and your body. For more after the show, make sure to head over to TrudyEStone.com. That's where you'll find all of the show notes. Also make sure to head over to iTunes to subscribe and leave us a rating to let us know what you thought about the episode. And remember, get your mind right and your body will follow. Thanks for tuning in.